Well, dear friends, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today we are reading verses 14 to 27. And we are in our fourth week in a series entitled Images of the Church, four of five weeks. Uh, And we talked about how God in his divine wisdom has not given us one verse or a one sentence explanation of what the church is. Rather, he's given us various images. And in these ways, uh, God speaks powerfully uh, to us about the nature, uh, the purpose, uh, the composition of the church. And so we've talked about God's church as his field, his body or his family, his bride. And today we're looking at the church as his body. And so we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 14 and reading to verse 27. And so please stand with me. And your standing is an act of worship, dear friends, as we read God's word and we receive God's word, for it is a gift given to us when the God of the universe speaks to his creation. So hear now the word of the Lord. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? The whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God is who composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that all the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And would you pray with me once more? God, we confess that without your spirit illuminating our hearts, Uh, your words would fall and make no sense to us. But when your spirit is present, taking your words and planting them in our hearts and sowing the seeds and uh, watering and planting that we uh, believe you will give the growth. And so let this time be a time of edification, looking into your word, hearing what you have to speak and building us up, your people, as we uh, listen carefully. And so, oh God, be glorified in this hour, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this isn't our first time looking at 1 Corinthians. Uh, We've looked at it once before earlier in this series. And uh, if you remember, if there's one thing you need to know about the book of Corinthians, it's that it's written to a church with a lot of problems. Uh, A few weeks ago, we saw in 1 Corinthians 3 that it was in Corinth where the whole celebrity pastor phenomenon began. And this is long before social media ever existed. There were people in the church saying, oh, I love this pastor and I love this preacher and I like this blogger and this televangelist. They were already doing that uh, 2,000 years ago. And as a result, the church was split. It was divided. 
And that was one of the first problems. And after that, if you keep reading 1 Corinthians, all you see is more and more problems, like a snowball falling down a hill, a freshly fallen snow. It's just picking up more and more. And so we see in the church issues of, of uh, a believer suing one another. We see issues of sexual immorality defiling the church. We see issues of a food offered to idols. We see issues of people abusing the Lord's Supper. And by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 12, we see the issue of spiritual gifts and how that's causing tension in the church and bringing division. You see, what was happening is that as God sent his spirit into people, as he was regenerating them, he was giving them spiritual gifts. But what happened was that people were receiving different spiritual gifts to edify and build up the body in different ways, but they began being puffed up with their gifts some with more um, immediate, uh, supernatural, uh, impressive gifts were considering themselves better than other people who had uh, less notable gifts. And this had a huge impact on the church because on the one hand, you have a group of people who are extremely big-headed, um, and that's always going to be problematic in the church. And then you had a group of people who just felt like they were second-tier, third-tier citizens in the church. They just felt like they didn't matter. They were insignificant. They had nothing to offer. And so Paul sees his problem in the church of Corinth that he writes to confront and to correct them. And the way he does that is he uses the image of the church as God's body, as the body of Christ. And so we have him, we see that he reads here in verse, uh, writes here in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's kind of his conclusion. And we start there because that's what we are looking at, the church as God's body, the body of Christ. Now, the point he presses home in this passage is essentially this, that in any healthy church, every member in the body matters. So every member should participate. Every member in the body of Christ matters. And because you matter, every member should participate. That the life of a healthy Christian and the life of a healthy church is not characterized by independence from others, but by interdependence on others. So if you take a look at your Christian life, what do you see? Do you see evidence of increasing dependence on other people, or do you see evidence of increasing independence from them? I don't need them. I'm fine on my own. And this is timely and important because this past year, with many people disengaged from the life of the church, withdrawn from the church and arm's length from the church, many worshiping still virtually. The coronavirus has become the perfect excuse to not invest in the church, to grow independent from the church, to be self-sufficient on their own. But you cannot be spiritually healthy when left alone and isolated because as Paul is saying, you are part of the body. The church is a body. You are a member of it. Can you truly have a healthy finger if it's sitting there detached from the rest of the hand on and in a cooler of ice? Is that a healthy finger? Or is a healthy finger one that's attached to the hand with four other fingers, which is attached then to the arm, which is attached to the body, which is attached to the head, who is Christ himself? See, in the same way, we are a healthy church with healthy members when we are functioning as part of Christ's body. And so as we begin looking at this passage, we look at verse 14, and here we read, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And Paul is saying the body is not individual, it's collective. The body is not independent, it's interdependent. And he's going to give an example of this in verses 15 and 16, where we read these words. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Paul's point here is very simple. You don't need much explanation on it. Paul is saying that in the church, there are not anybody, there's not a person who is more essential than another person or less essential than another person. His point is that no matter what role and responsibility a believer has, no matter how big that role and responsibility is or small, every member contributes. Every member has a place in the body. You see, in Corinth at the time, you had members who struggled with both a superiority complex and those who struggled with an inferiority complex because some had uh, massively impressive visible spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues. And those who did so seemed so spiritual in the eyes of others. They were the spiritual giants of the church. And so they felt like they were better than others. And in turn, they had those who who didn't have as impressive gifts, who had these gifts that they were proud to have, but but realized that there's nothing spiritual about this. There's no notoriety in these gifts. And they began to feel less and less valuable as if they didn't belong. And so Paul writes and he confronts them. And he's saying, listen, the diversity we see in the church, the diversity of gifts and contributions and abilities and, and affinities and and, and, and what you can bring to the table, so to speak, the diversity of that is what's going to make for the beauty of the unity of Christ's body. That not everybody is going to be the same and not everybody should be the same because the diversity of gifts God has given is not an obstacle to the unity that he wants in the church. It's an opportunity to the unity he wants in the church. And so he gives a variety, a diversity of gifts, You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving not too long ago, and we all know, what's the star of any Thanksgiving meal? It's the turkey. That's what sits there in the middle of the table, and everything is decorated around that. But if we had a Thanksgiving potluck, how would you feel if you showed up and there was just a table full of 35 turkeys? No cranberry sauce, no mashed potatoes, no gravy, no mac and cheese, no pumpkin pie be a travesty, a disaster, an injustice. You see, turkey is the star of the meal, but a Thanksgiving dinner is not more glorious when there are 35 turkeys on the table. It is less glorious because diversity is important. Your church is not more glorious if every member has these public spiritual gifts that are massive and impressive and visible, But it's beautiful when we see that everyone is contributing something. Now, how long does it take to uh, properly prepare a turkey? Many, many hours. Buttering and basting and keep an eye on it. I mean, how long does it take to open up a can of cranberry sauce and dump it on a plate? And yet how important is the cranberry sauce to the meal? You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, we need the variety. It's not only something we want, it's something we need. Because in the body of Christ, in the church, the Spirit of God who has entered your heart and regenerated you has also given you a gift. And so each one of you is uniquely gifted by God and called to serve in a way that complements the church, completes the church. Some of you are going to be those who bless others very uh, publicly, and some will do so privately, behind closed doors. Some of you will do things that bless and serve the church corporately as a whole, 
And some of you will do things that bless and serve the church individually. Some of you will bless the church through the words that you speak and others, through the actions that you have. Some of you bless the church and serve the church because you carry a title in the church. And others of you will have no such title. But the point is that nobody in the church should say, well, because I'm not like that person, because I don't have that gift, because I can't contribute in that way, because I'm not on that committee, because nobody asked me to do this. Oh, I feel like I don't matter to the body. No, not at all. We need the variety of gifts and services and abilities that you bring because verse 18 reminds us of this. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That the diversity in the church, you being here, what you bring to the table, your participation in quality and in quantity by variety and diversity, it is God's design. It's his arrangement. And so this is why Paul is saying the foot shouldn't feel any less a part of the body than the hand, because God has a purpose for both the foot and the hand. That the foot should never uh, jealously think to itself, you know, why does the hand get all the glory? Why am I covered in socks and shoes for most of the year, but the hand is never covered? The foot should know that on a wedding day, you never want to see an exchange of wedding toe rings, (laughs) but that would be absolutely disgusting. You know, I know some in our church uh, watch the Korean drama Startup. You know, what does Tarmi like about Tozan? I don't know. I don't see what she likes about him. But when he asks her, what do you like about me? What does she respond? Your hands, not your feet. We appreciate hands often more uh, in many contexts, but we absolutely need our feet. The feet help move the entire body in a way the hands can't. Yeah, you may be able to get from point A to point B doing a handstand walk, but you can't run, you can't jump, you can't dance. So how then can the feet ever think that it's inferior to the hands? And how can the hands ever think they're superior to the feet? We both need each other, not based upon how recognized or appreciated or thanked they are by other people, but because by making the contribution, the body is functioning properly as God has so composed. Because each of you are called to serve in different ways, according to the unique gift that the Spirit has given to you, each one of you is vitally important to the body of Christ. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm a hand. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm, I'm a feet. Some of you are big toes. And some of you are knuckles. But no matter what you are, you matter. Because no body part, no member alone is sufficient to build up the entire body. And so Paul gently reminds us of this in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? The whole body were like you, an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, you know, God, by his grace, has been growing our church. And as our church grows, uh, as all churches grow, usually what happens is uh, people feel less ownership of the church, less responsibility. And so you may have heard the saying, uh, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. So as the body grows, a few people do everything and a lot of people just come and consume. But the reality is, as a church grows, so do its needs. As the church grows, not only the uh, quantity of needs, how many needs there are, the variety of needs also grows. And so, in fact, as the church grows, we need more people to serve, more people to participate, more people to care for the entire body. 
We need not just more people like you, as great as each one of you are. We need more people different than you because the variety of needs is going to be entirely different. Four years ago, you came to this church. We had no need for a nursery. There were no babies crying. We had no need for a young adult community group because there was me and a couple of elders' kids. <laughs> but now, as the church is growing, there are not only the same needs that are growing in more quantity, but the variety, the types of ministries we need. And, and here's what's going to happen. As the church grows and as it grows rapidly, what begins to happen is that um, certain models we have for ministry will be exposed for their weaknesses. Um, certain areas that were ne neglected before, but it was okay because we never really thought about that, those become uh, relevant. And as a result, whenever a church grows, people start seeing the needs and you're going to respond in, in, in one of four ways. You're going to be one of four types of people. The first type of people are those who critique. Those who come in and just say, look at everything that's, that's lacking and saying, oh, that's not good enough and that's not right enough. And you just start critiquing. Other people will just complain. Oh, this could be better. And well, that church has this. And, you know, I visited this church and they had this. And why doesn't our church do that? Some people will be consumers. You'll come to the church and you'll say, oh, what do they have? Oh, that's, eh. a youth group, you know, and this community groups that praise that preaching, and they'll leave. But the fourth group of people is the type of people we need in the church, and those are the contributors. Those who come and they see the needs in the body, and they'll say, well, this is my body. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to critique the needs, and I'm not going to complain about the needs, and I'm not just going to consume, depending on what needs there are, but I'm going to contribute in a way that builds up the body. And it's this kind of member who is the first Corinthians chapter 12 type of member. So the question is, which are you in the church? Are you a contributor in this body? United to Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, are you now using that gifting for the body? Because you matter. You need to participate. And others need you. Because there is no redundant member there is no repetition in the kingdom of God. There is no gift too low or too small. You know, Paul writes in verses 22 to 24, he says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And what is Paul saying? He's saying it doesn't matter how big or impressive or how many people your gift ministers to, even if it's small and unimpressive and ministers only to a few people, it is, what does he say? Indispensable, necessary. In fact, what Paul seems to say is that God gives greater honor to those to whom the world says, oh, you are weak and you are unpresentable and you are not impressive. So what does that mean for us as a church? That means... We need you. We need every single one of you, and you need one another. See, whether you've realized your gift or not, whether you've discovered your gift or not, whether you're convicted or convinced at all about this, you have a gift, you have a service, you have an ability, you have a sacrifice, you have a contribution to make, that God has given you something to add and bring to this body, to build it up. 
And it's very interesting. Paul then gives a list of these kinds of gifts. We didn't read it, but in verse 28, Paul writes, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, this is a, a sample list here, so don't look at this list and say, well, I don't have any of those. I must not be uh, gifted at all. But what's amazing to me is that in this list of extraordinary gifts, like miracles and healing and tongues, Paul includes the most ordinary gifts like helping and administrating. Now, those are not gifts that we would perceive to be spiritual gifts, that on the day of Pentecost, when the heavens were open and the Spirit descended upon the people of God and they had all these spiritual gifts, you know, what do we think of? We think of, of Peter who stood up and boldly preached and those who spoke in tongues and healed and cast out demons, right? Who of us thought on that day, oh, the Holy Spirit has filled me and is using me and is energizing me and is empowering me to be a witness and I use my gift of administrating, of helping, of serving, of cleaning, of welcoming, and yet those are the gifts that God uses to build his church. Yeah, sure, there are extraordinary gifts. But more often than not, God has blessed us with ordinary gifts. And this is going to be really important because if you really think and you wonder and you pray and you ask others, um, you search the scriptures, God, what are my gifts? You do some self-reflection and self-evaluation, self-discovery. You may come to the very uh, sober, humble realization um, that you're the most ordinary person that you don't have anything extraordinary to give. You know, sometimes the feeling is, oh, I found my gift and, and I found what God has blessed me with. And then you realize that person over there has the same thing, but more than you. But that's not even their main gift. And you feel so insignificant and you feel so small. But here's the good news, friends. It doesn't matter how ordinary you are. God does his best with ordinary God is not asking you for something extraordinary. You know what he's asking? He's saying, hey, you bring your ordinary, I'll bring the extra, and I'll make it extraordinary. That's how the church of God and the church of Christ, the body of Christ, is built up. Uh, David Parsons gives an illustration where uh, he said in 1981, many of you probably won't remember this, but in 1981, President Ronald Reagan was, was shot. And he was hospitalized for a few weeks. And while he was in the hospital, uh, the nation continued on. <laughs> Governments didn't shut down. They just went right on by without a hiccup. The president of the United States in the hospital. It's just fine. Five years later, in 1986, in the great city of Philadelphia, there was a garbage collector strike. And in the same amount of weeks, about three weeks of Reagan's hospitalization, the result of their strike was entirely different. The city was a literal mess. I mean, you think it's dirty now. 20,000 tons of trash piled up around the city, causing a health hazard. And so Parsons goes on to write, he says, who is more important, the president or garbage collector? But in the body of Christ, seemingly insignificant ones are urgently needed. The church, we need everybody's participation, everybody's contribution, everybody's act of thoughtful service, everybody's eyes looking to the needs of the church and seeking to meet them for the glory of Christ and the good of his body. Now, by the grace of God, we hope that sometime this year, ministry in our church, ministry in all the churches return to normal. And when, when it does, will you be ready? Will you be ready to participate? 
Will you see the needs that the body has or will you remain disengaged and withdrawn and isolated and independent? Now, I know that one of the big questions, and we can't devote this part of the sermon to it, but how do I know what my gifts are? Uh, in the back, we'll have some um, assessments uh, printed out for you. You can take uh, one of those copies. We'll have them out in the back. If there aren't enough, please just email me and let me know. But I encourage you, if, if you're really serious about, about serving and, and participating and, and contributing, and you don't know what your gifts are and you're not already doing that, you know, take a form, consider reading it, prayerfully going over it, maybe spend some time this afternoon. Um, you know, young adults, we know you're here till 1130 on Sundays. Do, do it together. Spend, spend a half an hour uh, doing that, uh, talking, encouraging one another. Um, because you need to remember this truth. Right? Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That you are given the Holy Spirit not just for regeneration and new birth, but you're given the Holy Spirit so that you can contribute to the good of the body of Christ and build one another up. Now, of course, the way we serve and contribute and participate, it doesn't always look the same. Uh, you, you don't always have to be on a committee or a team to serve. You don't always have to be assigned a task. You don't always have to be uh, asked to do something by another person. You know, in this year, I'm really proud of in our church. Um, and so this sermon is not a reflection of, I see a lack in our church and I'm telling you to do it, but an encouragement is, you know, in this season, um, we saw a lot of great opportunities in which the body of Christ organically came to serve as they saw the needs of others. Without, you know, the session meeting and asking other DAC and it saying, this is a need we need to address, we saw uh, meal trains forming in the church. And we saw a lot of drive-by celebrations. And we saw hospitality as people were welcomed into each other's homes. And, and we saw that, that care packages were sent to those in school. I mean, even I received a care package. It was amazing. And these weren't church-initiated, leadership-approved active services. This was the body of Christ being mobilized, the body of Christ seeing needs and members saying, okay, let's do something about it. That's the type of members we need. Imagine if we had that kind of church where members aren't sitting on their hands saying, oh, I'm not doing anything until I'm formally asked to serve on this team or this committee. But our members are seeing the needs, that they are actively engaging in it, that they are understanding and, and, and seeking and, and coming to discover their own gifts and they're coming to others and suggesting and asking and brainstorming, how can I use my spiritual gifts? I have these experiences and I have this heart and I have this ability. What can I do to edify and encourage the body of Christ? Now, you know, what I hope for our church is not that, you know, in response to God's word and a sermon that there is some kind of uh, temporary uh, surgence of, of excitement and willingness and desire to serve for a little while that then soon burns out. What, what we actually need to be the people of God is lasting conviction. Right? We need to live a life full of participation, a life uh, that's so gripped by a vision of the body of Christ that we are compelled to serve. And that's not, that doesn't just come by, 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 by excitement over the need to serve. Uh, it comes through a vision cast by the gospel. Like, why should you care so much about the body of Christ that you're willing to give your life to serve the body of Christ? And it's only when you come to realize how much Jesus loved the body of Christ. In fact, he cared so much for the body of Christ that he gave up his own body to take those who were far and those who were running away and 
die for them, bringing them to himself. In order to make you a member of his spiritual body, he gave up his physical body on a cross, dying so that your sins would be forgiven, so you can be engrafted into him. He as the vine and you as the branches. And when you see how much Jesus loves you, and how much Jesus loved his spiritual body more than his physical body, transformation begins to take place both in mind and in heart. Because you realize, you know, the gospel is not just good advice that you should love the church as Jesus did. The gospel is good news. You can love the church because Christ loved her so much. He gave up his life for her and he gave up his life for you to serve you. You see, getting the gospel into your heart does so much more than ignite a moment of inspiration. It imprints new impressions on the heart so that your entire attitude toward the body is reoriented to now joyfully serve and love her and love her members. And dear friends, I, I hope you know that you know, a healthy church is a healthy body, and a healthy body is one where every member matters. And so every member participates, big ways, small ways, public ways, private ways, noticed ways, unnoticed ways, ways that are asked for, ways that are not asked for but we are joining together, we're serving one another, we're being the body, and in doing so, we bring glory to the name of Jesus, the head of this body. Let's pray.